0: Jesus said, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. As we have learned in this series, as individuals without others around, we too are in the midst of or in the presence of God. So why does prayer in community matter? We pray and worship as a community because this is One, where we learn how to pray. We learn from the traditions that have come before us. It's where our children learn how to pray and those who may be seeking. And two, it is in community where we are held accountable to each other. This is where we gather as diverse human beings to reconcile our differences and to become one as the body of Christ one in the remembrance of god's saving acts in history and in our own lives not clones not conforming to a creed but confirming the creed that we put our faith in with the celebration of the holy eucharist the thanksgiving that is set apart for this communion of the body with christ jesus creates by way of the bread and the wine a new community bathed in forgiveness reconciliation grace and mercy when we pray individually we understand that we are not totally self-sufficient we trust that God has our back and is listening when we pray in community we trust that not only God but the rest of the assembled community has our back too by lifting up prayers for us as we also lift up prayers for those around us. Hello and welcome to this episode of Sacred Musings, I am the Rev. Jennifer Chatfield, the Rector of St. Edmund's Episcopal Church in San Marino, California. And once again, I am delighted that you are here. This is the fifth episode in a five-part series on Christian spirituality. In the past four episodes, we have explored and touched upon a few aspects of Christian spirituality. We asked, what is the Spirit? We looked at mysticism, prayer, and ways of praying with scripture. All of this to solidify the fact that Christian spirituality is about a way of living life in the presence of God, or rather, recognizing the presence of God as we live our lives. It's about relationship. While we have only touched on a few aspects of Christian spirituality, and I'm sure there are a lot of questions and thoughts unexplored, we can conclude that Christian spirituality is a way of life, a lifelong pursuit, Christ-centered, holds a belief or trust that God has agency in our lives, involves mind, body, and soul, involves everyone, as we are all spiritual beings and is not simply for those who separate themselves from the world. Spirituality engages us with the world. And today we are going to explore how Christian spirituality is expressed in community. In the first episode, I asked the question, why do some say that they are spiritual but not religious? Most likely because, unlike generations before, This generation is more than ever focused on what is authentic. How can I be the most authentic me I can be? Personal fulfillment, individual authenticity and success has become the norm, whereas service and duty were the mantras of previous generations. Our own individual authenticity is paramount. And in order to strive for this individual authenticity, institutions, or rather, it is the belief that institutional structures or tradition can sometimes threaten this search for individual authenticity. But at its essence, Christian spirituality seeks the truth and the expression of truth. Christian spirituality embraces difference, as we will see this week with the arrival of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit brings understanding to the languages of the world, not separation. In the New Testament, we learn that each of us has a gift of the Spirit. This from 1 Corinthians To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the discernment of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit, who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. Of course, this isn't an exhaustive list, but It is the truth about ourselves, our individual authenticity, that allows us to come together in community, to make up and build up the church. The church should not dispel our authentic selves. The church should rather rejoice in the gifts of who we are. Christian spirituality does not damper, individuality, and authenticity. Christian spirituality works with our authenticity for building up the body of Christ in the world. We've already talked about in Episode 3 our individual prayer as being transformative transforming our hearts our wills to align with the will of God but so too does communal prayer praying in community is just as formative when we come together in prayer whether it is on a a sunday morning in church or another night or day of the week we are engaging in a ritual the ritual of Being together at a certain time, at a certain place, over what we do during this time is what is called liturgy. Liturgy means the work of the people, or others may say it is more accurately translated as the work for the people. The key word here is people. Liturgy, or what we do in worship, forms our communal expression of. Ordering our relationship with God gives us some guidance or a pathway, which helps us when we go home to stay connected, maybe also to explore more on our own through classes or individual study. Corporate prayer gives us permission to explore when we are shy or feeling unknowledgeable or when we are seeking Corporate prayer or praying in community has has a long history. Let's go all the way back to Moses in the book of Exodus, where God outlines in detail how the community will worship. From Exodus chapters 25 through 31, God describes in detail to Moses all the things that they must create, all the essentials. For worship, detailed instructions about how to build the elements that they will need in order to express their communal relationship with God. This eventually led to the worship in the temple, where rituals were created and implemented. Even Jesus, who spoke against the rigidity of the Pharisees, the Pharisees who controlled the worship life of the temple, even Jesus instituted a new ritual, the breaking of the bread and the drinking of the wine. Again from 1 Corinthians, Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in the remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine. After supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The Holy Eucharist is at the heart of our communal worship. But was the new way to worship during the time of the early church? The other was the ritual of baptism being cleansed, being born again, symbolically dying to the old life. Literally, think about it, when you're dunked underwater and you can't breathe, but when you come up for air and you take that first breath, it is a new breath, the breath given to you by the Holy Spirit. It is a new life. Baptism was paramount for new Christian communities as Archaeological evidence has been discovered over the years of house churches, those secret places of Christian gatherings which housed baptistries to initiate the newly faithful during the first few centuries of Christian persecution. Baptism and Eucharist are the two sacraments that we perform in the Episcopal Church that we do not do in private. For the Eucharist, there must always be at least one person present, and baptisms are always done during the principal Sunday services as part of the Eucharist. Why? Well, we are all children of God, adopted into this family. When we are baptized, we recognize our belonging to this family, and the congregation present affirms this belonging. The Eucharist, too, is a gift given to us by Jesus, instituted by Jesus, when he was having a meal with his friends. Alexander Schmemann, the theologian in his book The Eucharist, says this, The liturgy is the sacrament of the assembly. Christ came to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad that's found in John. And from the very beginning, the Eucharist was a manifestation and realization of the unity of the new people of God, gathered by Christ and in Christ. He says, We need to be thoroughly aware that we come to the temple not for individual prayer, but to assemble together as the church and the visible temple itself signifies and is but an image of the temple, not made by hands. In other words, the church assembled is the visible image of the heavenly assembly. When we celebrate the Eucharist in community, we gather to remember the saving acts of God in history— especially through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, by participating in the liturgy of the Word, hearing Scripture and learning, hopefully, from the sermon, and by receiving the bread and the wine. Earlier I said that communal prayer, being assembled together in prayer, teaches others to pray. We learn from doing and from observing others. This then becomes tradition. Much of the pursuit of finding our authentic selves may at times reject tradition, because when we hear the word tradition, we hear also perhaps old, stodgy, rigid. But tradition doesn't need to be a bad or non-progressive word Tradition means that we learn or do what has been done before, and great truths can be found in tradition. Others may call this instead precedent. Traditions are tried. They have withstood the test of time for a reason. This doesn't mean we can't try new things. It simply means that we can seek to learn from tradition, what has gone on before, and continue to unravel the truths that tradition brings with it. We can still look for an authentic expression of this truth. I'd like to offer a reflection now about how tradition can seep into our consciousness and speak to us in ways that that we perhaps we don't plan. As a child, I must have learned the Lord's prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us. And I had limited Sunday school exposure. I didn't grow up in the church, but yet all throughout my childhood and teenage years and probably into early adulthood, I couldn't fall asleep until I said the Lord's Prayer in my mind. I can recall times when I couldn't sleep and I'd remember, oh, I forgot to say my prayer. As I look back on this now, I realize that this prayer was so steeped into my being And I was not a student of theology at the time. I didn't really understand or do a deep dive into the meaning of the prayer. But yet it had meaning. I believe that all I knew was that this prayer was somehow a vehicle for conversation. A conversation with God. Are there examples of... Rituals, or prayers or pieces of the liturgy that maybe you learned in community once that maybe stick out for you? Do they keep you anchored in some way to the feeling of connection with God? To a feeling of connection with community? Think about it. What are the traditions that stay with you? Markham is an author, a theologian, and the Dean of Virginia Theological Seminary, and he's written a book called Liturgical Life Principles. In this book, he walks us through the Eucharist and asserts that the whole purpose of the Christian liturgy is to provide the resources to enable God to facilitate healthy and authentic living healthy in mind, body and spirit, and authentic in recognizing the realities of being a mortal creature in this world. When we pray in community within the context of the Eucharist, we are aware of our common life together. As we have learned, when we gather to participate in the liturgy, it is in and through this liturgy that we Participate in the Christ event, through the hearing of the stories in Scripture and in the breaking of the bread. In last week's Sunday reading, Jesus prayed for us in the Gospel of John. He said, Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. That we all may be one. This does not mean that we are clones or that we are to be exactly the same. Humanity is diverse and we have many differences. But when we come together to worship and when we participate, especially in the Eucharist, we are one. One in the body of Christ We partake in the unity of the body of Christ despite our differences. And when we come together in this manner, this reminds us of the need to reconcile our differences. When we reconcile, this doesn't mean that we are to agree with the other or the other has to agree with us. It simply means that we give respect and dignity to each other, to see each other as children of God, too. We may learn a new perspective. We may never agree, but we learn to live in difference. Part of this is coming to the table, the altar, the altar rail, with a desire for renewal, not just for our own benefit. As Eucharistic Prayer C from the Book of Common Prayer says, Deliver us from the presumption of coming to this table for solace only and not for strength, for pardon only and not for renewal. Let the grace of this Holy Communion make us one body, one spirit in Christ, that we may worthily serve the world in his name. One of the beautiful aspects about praying in community and worshiping in community comes when you maybe feeling like you just can't pray, where the words and maybe even the intention behind the prayers, they're just not there. This is common in times of grief or tragedy, when we might be just too sad or angry, or maybe even our belief is challenged and put to the test. Maybe we have lost or think we have lost our faith. When we can't pray, all of those around us, sitting in the pews or the chairs in front of us and, and beside us, they pray the prayers for us. So too, the Book of Common Prayer, the prayer book of the Episcopal Church, it is full of already written prayers for the liturgy, and these common or rather communal prayers Hold us up so that we don't have to come up with the words ourselves. We can rest in the intention that is on our hearts, knowing that as an assembly, we are all in this together. What is the church in reality? Well, spiritual writer Ronald Rollheiser says that the church is a community that gathers around Jesus Christ and living in his spirit. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he says, is defined in Scripture as charity, joy, peace, patience, goodness, long-suffering, fidelity, mildness, and chastity. And I would interject pure of heart as a definition for chastity here. But he further says, Living in these virtues is what binds us to community in such a way that we are immune from separation by distance, temperament, race, color, gender, ideology, social status, history, creed, or even death. Praying in community is a big part of Christian spirituality. While many of the practices out there, and and some that I have offered in this series, take us within ourselves in order to open up our hearts to welcome God's presence, this focus on inwardness must always lead to being out in the world, going beyond ourselves in order to help others along. Praying in community reminds us that we share this life together. Not only do we pray together when we are in community, but we celebrate the milestones in each other's lives and we help each other through the challenges and joys and we come together in service. Praying in community reminds us also that we are worthy. Not only worthy in the eyes of those around us, but worthy especially in the eyes of God as we are all children of God adopted into one family. As a way to think about yourself as part of a worshiping community, we are going to take a look at a passage of scripture. And as we listen to this passage of scripture, we will try to locate who we are in the story. For this final Exercise We are going to use a passage from Luke, Luke 5 17 to 26. Before we begin, once again, find a comfortable place to sit, close your eyes, and concentrate on your breathing. Do this for a short time until you are ready to begin. Until you are feeling relaxed and ready and attentive. You can hit the pause button and then push play when you are ready to begin. Let's begin. One day, while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you or to say stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. I'm going to read this passage again. This time, situate yourself in the story. Who are you? Are you a Pharisee? Are you a disciple listening to Jesus teach? Are you the paralyzed man? Are you one of those carrying the man to Jesus? Are you part of the crowd? Who are you in this story? Listen again. One day, while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question Who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins— He said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things. Today, I'm going to read the story one more time. And this time, think about who you are in the story. What do you see? What do you smell or touch? Where are you most comfortable? Where are you uncomfortable? Where are you fearful? Where do you have hope? What other feelings emerge? Once again. One day while Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting nearby. They had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Just then, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a bed. They were trying to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, who is this who is speaking blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their questionings, he answered them, why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, stand up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the one who was paralyzed, I say to you, stand up and take your bed and go to your home. Immediately he stood up before them, took what he had been lying on, and went to his home, glorifying God. Amazement seized all of them, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen strange things today. Where are you situated in the community that gathers around Jesus? What does praying in community mean for you? The point of this series was to explore Christian spirituality now this was not an exhaustive project but hopefully something that sparked something in you to seek more and to learn more to find the ways in which you might feel excited and engaged renewed in this series we asked how might we use this time of isolation as a time for a spiritual revival to deepen our relationship with God, to take the time to listen to what direction we may be called by God to take next in our lives. We defined Christian spirituality at the beginning as a quest for the integration of mind, body, and soul. How might we find our way toward this integration? We've been knocked off our normal these past few months, and getting knocked off our normal right now might just be a way of deepening the awareness of God in our midst. The Holy Spirit arrives this Sunday, May 31st, the day of Pentecost. How might we welcome her in? The Holy Spirit, the one who creates, orders, and ultimately the one who gives us understanding. Understanding that we are all spiritual beings, loved by God, created by God, a child of God, and we have been given life by the very breath of God.